amazing. We've gathered here tonight because, come on, because we never want to, even though here at the Revival Center, literally last year we spent like four months on nothing but Jesus, talking about Jesus and the Gospels, etc. But we want to take time this week to talk about his journey to the cross. But Elder um, Camilla, who is an elder in this church, come on, give God praise here. She's going to come and she's going to talk about um, Jesus' journey to the cross. Amen? So I want you to listen and I want you to pray. And I want you to open your ears and your mind to hear what the Lord has to say. Come on. Come on and give God praise in here. God, you are worthy to be praised, oh God, and we lift you up in this place, oh God. You are the ultimate sacrifice, oh God, and we give you all the praise, glory, and honor, God. We thank you, God, for your presence, God. We thank you, God, for your peace, God, that you've given unto us, oh God. And so, God, right now, we lift up a praise to you. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Bless your holy name, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we love you and we adore you. Oh, Jesus. You may be seated. As overseer was reading the scripture of Luke, and he started with the scripture of they were sitting at the table and they reclined. And in the Jewish custom, when they reclined, that's a symbol of freedom. That's a symbol that they will no longer be bound again. So when Jesus reclined first, it was a symbol to the other apostles that you are free as well. So if you are free indeed, just give God praise in here. I thank God for setting me free, no longer bound, no more chains holding me. I am free because Jesus set me free. And for that we shall give him the glory. And for that, we shall give him the praise. Thank God I'm free indeed. Thank God I'm free. Thank God I'm free. I'm free. And I will no longer be bound again. Ah, he gave us liberty. And we are free. And so I'm going to start in that chapter. I'm so glad he started there um, in that chapter. And so what we are going to be looking at is the path to the cross. We're going to start at the um, path where he started. This is where he started. I hope you guys can see it. If not, we can put down the big screen. But um, Jesus started his path right after Passover. So it's fitting that we just took communion because that's kind of a symbol of a Passover. When they broke the bread, the matzah. And they, drunk, and they drank the wine. And they were up in this room. 
And then after the room, he went down to the garden of Gethsemane. So here is his path. He's up doing Passover. After Passover at 9 p.m. to midnight, he's in the garden praying. From 1 a.m., he was taken away. He was betrayed right then and there by Judas. He was taken to Ananias' house, who was a former priest. He was taken to Caiaphas' house, who was the current priest. He was taken to Pontius Pilate. He was taken to Herod, back to Pilate, and then executed and crucified. So Jesus had a busy day. From even before 9 p.m., probably about 5 or 6, 6 o'clock when the new day starts in the Jewish custom. So 6 until 3 the next day, Jesus was up. He was about to endure. He already knew what he was going through. But the fact that he had to endure it and the fact that he was human and divine. And so he, he, he struggled with his human nature sometimes, just like we do. But be, thanks be unto God, he came down here on earth with one purpose in mind, is that to get to the cross, to save us and to set us free. And so this is the path that Jesus took. I think we all know, heard of um, the Via Della Rosa. This is the path that Jesus took. It's um, what um, we know as the stations. Well, the Catholic call it the stations of the cross. But although the stations are not biblical, but this is kind of the path um, that he took from the garden. That's Mount Olivet or the Mount of, Gar the Mount of Olives or Olivet. You hear it. And it's so important to know about the Mount of Olivet or Mount of um, Olive. Because you're, you hear that a lot in scripture about going to this place. And I encourage you to study this place because this is a significant place where a lot of the tribulation is going to take place. As far as like the Armageddon, there's going to be a fight right there at that mount. And so it's important to know it. So all things are purposeful when, when, when God lays the plan out. Everything is purposeful. God's timing, God's clock goes in a circle. So you always see it kind of repeats itself. You see certain places, you see certain things in history kind of repeats itself because Jesus, I mean, God's um, calendar is not straight like, we, like ours is, like from one year to the next to the next. Jesus' calendar, it goes around in a circle. So nothing is new under the sun because everything goes around in a circle. You keep seeing it over and over again. And so when you look at New Testament, you say, man, I saw that in the Old Testament because that's God's timing going like this. And so the Passover is very key, um, celebrating the Passover, because um, Jesus, he fulfilled the Passover, even though they celebrated back in um, Leviticus. Jesus, he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the ultimate Passover. And so that's why we take communion. We take the bread. We take the wine. It symbolizes that Jesus is the ultimate Passover and that we don't have to bring bulls and lambs to, to, to God. That Jesus, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was it. His blood was sufficient to us, for us. Amen. So in the, in the garden, we begin to pray. It says, um, in Luke 22, 44, he says, in being in agony of mind, he prayed all the more earnestly and intently, and his sweat became like great clots of blood 
dropping down upon the ground. So the Garden of Gethsemane is a place um, whose name literally means oil press. So you can imagine as Jesus is there, he's praying, he comes to the garden with his disciples, and he calls his, his um, three, Peter, James, and John, to go further with him. And there's a purpose why he always chooses Peter, James, and John, because they were kind of the forerunners of the church. And so he always will call them to go further and deeper with him. And some people can't uh, go further and deeper with Christ. As you see, they fell right asleep. Jesus asked them just to pray with me. Knowing what Jesus was about to go through, I will be in tears and crying for my Savior, knowing that he's about to endure the cross. He warned them all the time that I'm not going to be with you always. I'm not going to be with you always. And if God is calling you further to pray, we should be in obedience, begin to pray. Because when God calls a nation to pray, when God calls a people to pray, then you know he's about to shake something up. So this right here was important in the, in the garden. And so as in the scripture, he said that he was, I found this very interesting. I'm a stickler, I mean, I'm a, I love science. I love history. I love studying this stuff. And the scripture says that he sweat like drops of blood. And people may think like, oh, he was just sweating profusely, but he was actually sweating blood. And this is a condition that's called uh, hematidrosis, and it's very rare, and there's cases about it. When you do history about it and research, there's actual people when their anxiety becomes so much that they begin to sweat blood through their vessels. And um, you see it sometimes in scripture, Jesus, his, his, um, his being was just so overwhelmed. He says that um, we see Jesus on another language anguish. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That means his anxieties just kind of overwhelmed him. You have to remember he was human. So he felt pain. He felt things that we feel. And so I know that he was divine, that he had one purpose in mind, but he also fight, he fought with the, um, with the nature, with the flesh nature. And so seeing this makes me realize like, okay, God, he was actually shedding blood before he even got to the cross. Sitting there sweating. And if I'm one of the disciples and I look over and see my savior, see Jesus sweating blood, wouldn't that make you pray harder? But something didn't click in Peter, James, and John. They didn't realize what was going on. And the only account that you see this in is the book of Luke. And Luke was a phys physician. So he knew about the, the body. He knew about the psychology and all that stuff. And so he saw, he um, was able to witness and to say that he was actually sweating of blood. And so I thought this was interesting of how um, comparing the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Eden was the start of time. And in the Garden of Gethsemane was the switching of time. So in the Garden of, of Eden, you have the, I don't know if you ever heard of dispensations, but um, in the Garden of Eden start, started the dispensation of innocence. And when they took a bite of that apple, well, the dispensation of innocence means that they didn't really know anything. They weren't conscious of anything. They were just there loving God in the garden. You know, they didn't know anything from good and evil. 
But when they took a bite of that apple, then it turned into the dispensation of consciousness when they realized about good and evil and they, they realized that they were naked and they realized they needed to be covered. They come into another, another era. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, it happened the same thing. They were in the dispensation of law and right then and there, Jesus was praying and prepping to move over to dispensation of grace. And so a lot of um, world-changing activities happen in the Garden of Eden and happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I really thought that was very interesting on how Jesus, uh, how God used the gardens um, to represent a change. Um, the Garden of Eden, the first Adam began a, a life in the garden, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, the second Adam came at the end of his life to a garden. Um, they, re they reference Adam as the first Christ. So Christ in Eden, um, Adam sinned, but in Gethsemane, the Savior overcame sin. In Eden, Adam fell, but in Gethsemane, Jesus conquered. In Eden, Adam hid himself, but in Gethsemane, our Lord boldly presented himself. And in Eden, the sword was drawn, but in Gethsemane, the, so the sword was sheathed. It means put away. So we're going to start with the first, first period here when he was taken from Anaya's house to, uh, to Cepheus' house. So when he was in the garden, that's when Judas came to him with a bunch of so soldiers. And the signal for the soldiers to know which one to take Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek, and that was a sign for the soldiers to capture him. So that was the sign of betrayal right then and there. And so he was taken to Anaya's house, one of the former priests. And so you will see during this whole, this whole um, process that they were doing things very, uh, very sneaky, very off the book. They were doing this at night. Um, so, and it came to pass in Matthew 26, 1 through 5, it says, and came to pass when Jesus had finished all these words, he said unto the disciples, ye know that after two days, the Passover cometh and the son of man is delivered to be crucified. Then were gathered together the chief priests and the elders and the people unto the court of the high priest, who was also called Cepheus. And they took counsel together that they may take Jesus by by subtly and killed him, but they said not during feasts, lest a tumult arise among the people. So you see, he was um, at Passover. That's from sun sundown to sundown. Passover is seven days long. People only know one day, but it's seven days long. It's Passover, then the uh, feast of unleavened bread, and then feast of first fruits. It all runs in one week. And so they weren't supposed to be doing this type of thing as far as trying Jesus during the feast day. So they were already breaking rules um, in that. So it's also good to know that during, during this time of feast days, at least it's 2.5 to 3 million people come from all parts of the northern Africa from the Asia Minor come together to celebrate feast days. In the book of Leviticus, God, he commands his people to come three times a year to celebrate feast days. One time is the Passover, second time is during the Pentecost, and the third time is called the Feast of Sukkot or the Feast of uh, 
of booths, feast of booths. And so this is the first time. So Jesus was about to be crucified in front of millions and millions of people. And people didn't realize what was going on at this time. And so they have the bodies, the, the, they have a bunch of stakes right in front of the gates of Jerusalem where they hang all the bodies out. So you have no choice while going to Jerusalem seeing all the bodies lined up. So in that, like I was saying, when, when they did the trial, um, they were breaking a lot of rules. They weren't supposed to have no type of council, no type of gathering at that time. And um, the night that Jesus was arrested, he brought before Ananias and Cephas and the Sanhedrin council. So it's the Sanhedrin council is the political elders. So you have the church elders, the political elders, and you have the elders of the Old Testament um, as far as like age or wise or whatever. So the, the reason why um, they brought Jesus um, to this, that he was charged in these, um, uh, in these trials with blasphemy, claiming to be the son of God, claiming to be Messiah. But the crazy thing is there were a lot of people in that time that were claiming to be the son of God. So it was nothing new. It was nothing new that somebody would come and say, you know, I've come to save the sins of the world and all that stuff. It was common. But what was odd about this is that the fact that Jesus came and he bucked up against the system. He challenged them. He pushed them to the point where they, they didn't like it. They wanted to get rid of him as soon as possible. So that's why they had all the priests, they had all the elders come in and said, we got to get rid of that Jesus and we got get, to get rid of him now. And so this is what he was doing. This is what he was facing. And so when he dealt with the, the religious court, he went to the political court, the Roman court. He dealt with Pilate. Um, he found no wrong. So actually, Scripture said that he found no wrong, and so he sent him to Herod. In actuality, um, when they found out Jesus was a Galilean, um, he was out of Pilate's jurisdiction. So he couldn't right then judge him. So he was happily... Uh, wanted to send him to Herod, like, you deal with it. And then when Herod was like, no, nah, I'm going to send you back because I, I, I can't do nothing with you. And so when they brought him back to Pilate and the people were saying, you know, give us Jesus, give us Jesus. We don't want Barabbas and all that stuff. That's when uh, Pilate, he just kind of washed his hands of, of the whole matter and says in Luke 23, verse 13, it says, Pilate summons the chief priests and the rulers and the people, he said to him, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined before, uh, before you, I have found no guilt on this man regarding the charges which you made against. No, nor has Herod, for he has sent them back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But that wasn't good enough for the people. And they wanted him, and they wanted him dead. They probably didn't even know why they wanted him dead, but they just wanted him dead. But the fact that he had to die, he had to die. And so it just had to happen that way. And so um, there is a, uh, a famous historian. His um, name is Josephus. And he writes, um, he's not a believer, but he writes about history. 
about what was going on in the Bible days. And this is what he had to say about Jesus. Now, he wasn't a believer. He was a Jew, but he did not believe in the Christ. But he could not deny this about Jesus Christ. He said, now, there was a time, about this time, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such man as received the truth with pleasure, he drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at suggestion of the principal man amongst us, he uh, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at, at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. So a non-believer couldn't even deny the fact that the Jesus that we serve was a wonderful Jesus. He did all types of works. He did all types of miracles. And he was the Christ, according to history, according to the fulfillment of scriptures, that he was Jesus the Christ, son of the living God. So that's something to really rejoice about when the unbelievers can, can say, when they do all their history and do all their research, they cannot deny the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. So that is awesome. I wish I had the big screen. You guys can't see it, but um, the trials. So here, here are some, um, some shady things that the uh, religious leaders, they were doing. So like I told you all, no trial was to be held during the feast time. They were breaking that law. Um, each member of the court was to vote individually to convict or to acquit, but Jesus was convicted by acclamation. Um, if the death pen penalty was given, a night must pass before, to sen before the sentence was carried out. However, only a few hours passed before Jesus was placed on the cross, so they broke that rule. The Jews had no authority to execute anyone, so they broke that rule. No trial was to be held at night, but at this trial was held before dawn. The accused was to be given counsel or representation, but Jesus had none. Um, the accused was not to be asked self-incriminating questions, but Jesus was asked, was he the Christ? So Jesus, he had no fair trial at all from the beginning, and they were breaking all these rules because they felt that he was a threat to them, but not realizing that he was there to save them. But I always say he had to die. He had to. He had to die. So then when he returned to Pilate, he was, he was beaten, he was Cain, and this is the kind of the gory part of the of the whole thing is when they will tie him to a post and after the judgment of Pontius Pilate the Lord Jesus was beaten mocked and spit upon the Roman soldiers and so during the flogging the victim was tied to a post leaving his back entirely exposed the Romans used whips called um, flagellums, which consist of small pieces of bone metal attached to the number of leather stra uh, strands. So they looked actually like this. If you can see the metal pieces and the piece of bone inside of the rope. And so when they would uh, lean back and just whip, and it would just grab the skin, and it would just pull it, 
and whip again. And they did that for 39 times. According to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 25 and 3, there was a rule there that they, they were only supposed to do 40. That's the Jewish law. But because he was um, in, the Roman, in the Roman world, there was no law as far as how many times he was supposed to get whipped. But they whipped him 39 times, though. And so this was a, a really, really, uh, really uh, crazy process. When you think of our Savior just on the pole, just getting whipped, and then they put a crown on him to mock him because he said that he was the king of kings and he was there to save the people. And so they took the crown of thorns here. The thorns were at least like an inch or two long, and they will beat it on his head. They didn't just place it on his head. They beat it on his head. And so those thorns were poking through his head, and our head is very vascular. It's very kind of soft, and so it was just beaten on his head, mocking him. And the significance of the scarlet robe and the crown of thorns is to emphasize Jesus taking the sins of the world upon his body. The Bible describes sin as the color of scarlet and that the thorns first appeared after the fall. That's a sign of the curse. Um, so he wore the symbol to show that Jesus took on the sins of the world upon himself. And so here, here is what um, Jesus had to go through. Now, there is a lot of debate whether or not, because um, when criminals, crucifixion was a common, a common thing to do. Okay, Jesus wasn't the only one that was crucified. They will have 100 crucifixions a day. This was normal for the Roman, Roman soldiers to do. And so they were perfect at crucifixion. And um, according to history, a lot of the, uh, the criminals, they would just carry the top part, it's called the patibulum, to the, to the cross. And they would carry it, it was about 80 pounds, and they would just put it, after getting beaten, they would carry it on, on their body and carry it to, to the cross. So this part here is always in the ground um, it never moves, but in, in the account of Luke, when you read Luke's account, it sounds like he was actually carrying the whole entire cross because they said that they grabbed somebody from the audience, Simon of Cyrene, and helped him carry the cross all the way to Calvary. And so that is, I, th I thought that was very interesting. And it, I believe that he was carrying the entire cross just to embarrass him just because he never had any fair trial in the, begin in the beginning, so why not make him carry that, the whole thing? In that case, if he carried the whole cross, that's 210 pounds of cross that he had to carry from the point of being beaten to all the way to Calvary. And you have to remember that he started his day at 6 p.m. the other day, so he's already fatigued. He lost a lot of blood during the garden. He lost a lot of blood during the 39 whoopings and beatings. And that was the, only, that was the first beating. He had two beatings, actually, um, in the, in the uh, courts. But um, so you have to think about the fatigue and the tiredness that Jesus was going through on the way to the cross. 
And so even there's an inscription on the cross that we know about as well. It's saying this is the king, the king of kings, the kings lay here. And it was written in um, Aramaic and Greek. Yeah, Aramaic and Greek. So one thing that I found very interesting. Okay, here's another part. Um, when they're on the cross, they, they have this little seat. And so they will sit on the cross. And I went to um, a session called The Physician's View of the Crucifixion. And they were telling, telling us how um, there's no possible way that um, Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross, that they actually nailed his wrists to the cross. Because if they nailed his hands to the cross, the nail would just rip through his hands. There's no way that a hand can hold up a body up on the cross, a limp body at that on the cross. So they said that they um, nailed in his wrist and his feet was nailed on the sides. So nailed in on the sides on the cross. And so they did that on the side so they would um, slowly lift themselves up so they can breathe. But the pain was so heavy that when they slumped down, they're trying to breathe. And so they would kind of lift themselves up to breathe. And so they're usually robbed when the criminals are on the cross, they're on the cross for days, just on the cross, just there trying to take their next breath, trying to breathe or whatever. And so when the soldiers thought that um, they were dying too long, taking too long to die, they will break their legs. So therefore they can't breathe. They can't push themselves up to breathe. And so they die from asphyxia. And so, um, but in the scripture, it says that no bone will be broken on Jesus. And that was just the case that when they went to Jesus and was about to break his bones, they realized that he was already dead. So Jesus, he didn't take him days to die. He went on the cross at 9 a.m. and he died at 3 p.m. And we know when, when he died at 3 p.m., it became completely dark. One thing I wanted to, to mention before getting to the, to the darkness is that the guy who carried, who was in the crowd that they uh, had carried across, Simon of Cyrene, he played a very key role in history. Uh, he was from uh, what we know as Libya, so he was a man of color. And um, when they called him out to help, uh, help Jesus carried the cross, he went back to his city. And Simon was one of the main people to help Paul, to train Paul. He was like, Simon was like um, Paul's like uh, godfather in that case, like somebody he really looked up to. You can see in, um, in Romans, uh, I think it's chapter 13, that he mentions Simon and he mentions um, his son Rufus. That, that name may, may um, spark something. When he was, uh, mentioned Rufus, and uh, Rufus is Simon's son. And so he would mention them in Scripture saying, they were so nice to me. They were so kind to me. They raised me up. So think about you're, you're, you're in Jerusalem for feast days, and you get dragged into the crowd to help the Jesus Christ. And you go back to your home city of Cyrene. At that time, it was Cyrene. And he started the first church in Cyrene because of his belief in Jesus Christ. 
He was a Jew. He didn't believe. But because he witnessed it and was actually helping to carry the cross, he went back and started a church in Cyrene. So he, he played a really big part in history. Okay, we talked about that. And so the, the, the criminals, they would, for boredom or for play, they would twist the bodies of the criminals in different ways. They would hang up the bodies in various ways just to mock him. Rather than he just up there on the cross, they would do different, you know, consortments of his body to just because. And so I told you about how they nail, nail the, um, the feet to the cross. And so I talked about St. Siren as well. And so during this whole path of coming from the garden, from after Passover to the garden, praying for Jesus, and the angel came down, gave him strength from being captured, from being tried under the, the religious courts, then he went to the political courts, and then from the political courts, he was beaten. And from the, from the beating, he um, dragged a 210-pound cross to Calvary. And he was up there with the thorns on his hand and the nails in his wrists and the nails in his feet. And then he had seven sayings in which we will hear on Saturday what he said on the cross. And then he gave up the ghost and then he died. And that was Jesus' path to save the world. And so when I began to really study this and I began to really study Jewish history and, cost and customs and all that stuff and culture, it just made me to just appreciate God, appreciate Jesus all over again. Because I, I don't think we understand the gruesomeness and the tiredness and the pain that Jesus had to endure just for us. Because he, like he said, I can call my angels down and come save me. I ain't got to do this. I can, I can call my angels down, but he had to die. He knew exactly the path that he was going to go through. And for that, that is a reason to give God glory. That is a reason to give God praise. Come on, let's just give God glory and praise for that. God, you did not have to come down. God, you did not have to die. We thank you for Jesus, the Messiah who came down here on earth to save us. And for that, oh God, we will lift up our eyes to you, God. We will lift up our voices to you, God. We will give you all the praise, glory, and honor that you are certainly due, God. So God, we thank you, God, that we now we don't take this lightly. We know how much blood you lost. We know how many stripes that were beaten for, for, on your body, oh God. We thank you, God, that you came down here on earth when everything else failed, you said, I got to come down and save my people. And so, God, you endured humanity, oh God. The miracle was not the fact that you was divine. The miracle was, in fact, that you were a human God, that you came, God, and took on the pains, God. You took on the gruesomeness, God. You took on our pain, God. And so, God, we lift you up. And so, God, we lift you up in this place, oh God. God, you said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. 
but you had to die, oh God. And so God, we lift you up, God, for being the perfect sacrifice that you are, oh God. God, we lift you up, oh God. God, we lift you up, oh God. And God, you endure to the end, God. You endure to the end, God. And for that, oh God, we can't give up, God. And the things that we are enduring, oh God. God, if you can go to the cross, God, surely we can make it to the finish line as well, oh God. And so God, give us the strength, oh God, to make it to the finish line, oh God. God, you gave him power, God, to finish his assignment, oh God. Oh, so God, give us the power, give us the anointing, oh God, to finish our assignment here on earth, oh God. And God, if it meant for us to lose our lives, oh God, God, take our lives, Father. God, if it meant for us to go through pain, God, God, allow us to go through pain, oh God. God, Jesus prayed for the burden to be lifted off of him, but it couldn't lift off of him, oh God. So when we pray, oh God, for you to take the burden off, God, you said, I'm not going to take the burden off, but I'm going to give you power to endure. I'm going to give you strength to endure. You shall endure until the end. You will not faint. You will not fall. But you shall endure until the end. You are good. 
lifted high. You'll be lifted high. You'll be lifted. 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 Hands up. Hearts open. Wide as the sky. Be lifted. You'll be lifted. Hands up. Hearts open. Wide as the sky. You'll be lifted. You'll be lifted. Hands up. Hearts open. Wide as the sky. Be lifted. Whew. You'll be lifted. Hands up. Hearts open. Wide as the sky. Be lifted high. Be lifted high. Hands up. Hearts open. Wide as the sky. Be lifted high. Be lifted high. Let all the other names fade away.
because of your power, all that we face and endure will fade away. For God, you are the God who has all power in your hands. And God, you've given us that same power, God. And we thank you, God, for the endurance on the cross, oh God. We thank you, God, and we lift you up with our hands open, our hands up, hearts open, wide as the sky, oh God. Take us, God, and lift us. Lift us, God, 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 lift us. And God, we love you. God, I lift this up to you, God. Let it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, God, and in your hearing, oh God. So God, we thank you for this moment that we are learning about your word, God, the endurance of the cross. And so God, we will continue to lift up our mouths to you, God, and be a vessel, God, unto you, God. So we love you. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Lift them up one more time in here. Thank you, Father. Can you give God praise one more time here? I said, come on and give God a shout right there. God is good. The Lord is good. 